Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Soundtrack Show will begin in five, four, three. Erich Wolfgang Korngold, a renowned composer of operas and concert works from Austria, once commented that the 1938 Warner Brothers movie The Adventures of Robin Hood saved his life. This is The Soundtrack Show. Welcome back to The Soundtrack Show. I'm your host, David W. Collins, and today we're talking about one of the greatest, most influential film composers of the golden age of Hollywood, Eric Wolfgang Korngold. While many of you may not be familiar with his music directly, you will understand his influence on composers like John Williams, Jerry Goldsmith, James Horner, and more almost immediately upon hearing his film scores. Korngold is important for us to discuss for a few reasons. The first is his influence, as I mentioned. I mean, though he only scored 16 films in the 1930s and 40s, his musical film score influence is still heard in movies today, especially the kind that are celebrated in geek culture. Star Wars, Superman, Indiana Jones, Star Trek, Marvel and DC films, Aliens, Titanic, Avatar, Harry Potter, the list goes on and on. The second reason to learn and understand how Korngold and other composers of his era represent a direct link between the concert music of the Romantic and early 20th century eras to film scores. There's a stylistic connection that you can trace through very few degrees of separation even today. And finally, his story is fascinating. It's inspiring, and at times it's heartbreaking. Though his music is a gift left to us by a man who died well over 50 years ago, that gift came at a cost. His life didn't turn out quite the way he'd imagined for various reasons, including Hitler and World War II. And his legacy didn't receive the appreciation it so richly deserves until well after his death. So let's start with the headlines, and then we'll dig in a little deeper. Korngold scored, among others, the swashbuckling films of Errol Flynn, 
such as The Adventures of Robin Hood, Captain Blood, The Seahawk, and others. He scored dramas such as The Private Lives of Elizabeth and Essex, starring Betty Davis and Errol Flynn, The Seawolf, and King's Row, starring a young Ronald Reagan. All for Warner Brothers. These movies helped establish the golden age of Hollywood and its sound. As his first films, Korngold's first film scores, were in the mid-1930s, just a few years after Warner Brothers distributed The Jazz Singer with Al Jolson, which is the first talkie to receive national attention back in 1927. There were other talkies before The Jazz Singer, but really The Jazz Singer, because it's so musically based and was so widely uh, distributed and well-received, is really known as the first real talkie to make an impact. So Korngold is making uh, film scores just several years, within a decade right after that. It's hard for me to imagine creating films in that era when synchronized sound was just that new. At a later date, I'd love to talk about the fascinating and sometimes painful transition that films made to sound, but for now, back to our story. For his efforts, Korngold took home one Academy Award and two nominations. His movies were hugely successful, but film scoring wasn't what he had started out to achieve. Life had taken some unexpected twists and turns. Eric Wolfgang Korngold was born in Austria on May 29, 1897. His father, Julius Korngold, was an influential, respected, but feared music critic in Vienna. Music was very important in the Korngold household. Interestingly enough, young Eric was a musical wunderkind. He took to music like Mozart had almost 150 years earlier. As a very, very young boy, Eric was a piano and composition prodigy. He was marveled at by famous composers and musicians in Vienna at the time, including Gustav Mahler, and was famously hailed as the next Mozart. Young Korngold also began a career in composition when he was only 10 years old. He's the only example of a composing prodigy that I have found who had a fully formed musical personality from the word go, from the beginning. In his very first works, for example, uh, the Don Quixote Suite, the very opening movement, it couldn't be by anybody else. And he's 11, 10 years old in that piece. Even though he was a little boy, he was writing as an adult. And that is why the people of the stature of Bruno Walter, Arthur Schnabel, Fritz Kreisler, Maria Yaritza, all of these great musicians performed his music. Richard Strauss and Mahler were absolutely astonished by him. And it, it, it was because he wrote like, dare I say it, like they did. By the age of 13, he was composing for complete symphony orchestras. Let's listen to his opus number four, called Dramatic Overture from 1911. And as you're listening, remember, this was written by a 13-year-old. Gosh, you know, Mozart and Mendelssohn would have thought, wow, too. <laughs> Thank you. 
dramatic overture is the work of someone just 13 years old. I do have to say, I mean, as a conductor, you, you stand in awe of his orchestrational ability from the very first pieces at the age of 13 or 14. And, and right through the end of his life, he was amazingly sophisticated, elaborate, detailed orchestrator with an excellent ear for color and balance and original sounds. Uh, right up from Schauspiel Overture through the symphony spanning 50 years of output. Here's a letter written by composer Gustav Mahler, describing Mahler's feelings about young Korngold's ability. Richard Strauss was ready to conduct the music of this prodigy. He wrote, such mastery can produce amazement, even fear. The control of form, expression, harmony is really astonishing. Eric Wolfgang Korngold, it seemed, was destined for success in the concert halls. As a teenager, he was writing operas like Die Tote Stadt, or The Dead City, which has recently been re-entering the repertoire, by the way. It's been performed in New York even within the last 10 years, as well as his concert pieces for strings, piano, and orchestra. Anyway, it seemed like, at the time, as a teenager, Korngold's future was set. But a few things happened that set in motion a big shift in his career. The first was his relationship with his parents. Like Mozart, Korngold's relationship with his father was... Mm, complicated. Julius Korngold despised the more modern sounds of the 20th century, and he warned his son against this newfangled rock and roll. I mean, Korngold, however, for his part, he didn't discriminate. I mean, he loved uh, the romantic style. In fact, we know him mostly as a composer that, that uh, emulates the romantic style, but his compositions and his orchestration do hint at 20th century scoring techniques. I have a little side story for you. When Korngold's parents first heard a very early work of his, he must have been a teenager, it was a trio for strings. Um, his father heard it, and he said, oh, this, this tempo is just too fast. And his mother said, no, 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 this tempo is just, it's just too slow. His father said, no, 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 it's fast. This argument started developing. No, it's slow, it's fast, it's slow. So young Korngold pipes up and comments, well, I think it's just right. I mean, it's it's just right for me anyway. His parents both turned to him and yelled, Shut up! Korngold fell in love and married Louise von Zonenthal in 1924. And their marriage, by all accounts, was a very, very happy union. Friends of theirs for the rest of Korngold's life described their marriage like a fairy tale. Korngold's parents, however, didn't approve of the marriage, causing further strains on their relationship with their son. Finally, just to get away from his overbearing parents, Korngold moved more and more away from concert works and operas as a young man and more towards work on operettas. Operettas, for our knowledge, uh, operettas or zingspiels are the ancestors of our musical theater. Again, that's for another show. He worked with Johann Strauss and others, and also with a man named Max Reinhardt who eventually came to Hollywood and produced a stage version of Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream at the Hollywood Bowl in the early 1930s, which, by the way, starred a young, unknown actress named Olivia de Havilland, who would eventually go on to become a big star, and who, incidentally, is still alive as of this recording. This relationship or friendship with Max Reinhardt is where Korngold's association with Hollywood begins. So Reinhardt, after producing a stage version of A Midsummer Night's Dream, was set to produce a film version of that production for Warner Brothers. 
Reinhardt convinced studio head Jack Warner to hire Korngold as the musical director of the movie, as he was, quote, the only person for the job, end quote. Korngold agreed and came to Hollywood and set about arranging Mendelssohn's famous music to picture. this is where he actually helped develop the art of film scoring. It's still so very early on in film scoring's days. I mean, this is the mid, actually the early 1930s. There's a wonderful anecdote where Korngold uh, was at Warner Brothers. He had traveled from Austria to Hollywood. He's there and he starts asking questions. And he asks a sound technician, how long is a foot of film? He got a very sarcastic reply. 12 inches. That's not what he meant. So, of course, he clarified, how much time does it take for a foot of film to be projected? How much time is a foot of film? So he knew how to begin even arranging music for a scene. The technicians didn't know. They just scratched their heads. Nobody had even thought to ask that question before. So they went in and timed it. And they came back to Korngold and said, about two-thirds of a second. Ah, Korngold responded, the same tempo as Mendelssohn's scherzo. And now for a brief intermission. We return now to the soundtrack show. After successfully adapting Felix Mendelssohn's music to A Midsummer Night's Dream, the film, Warner Brothers summoned him again from Austria, asking if he'd be willing to compose more feature films. This was a huge boon to the studio. I mean, Korngold was a renowned and somewhat famous concert composer, and now he's suddenly doing films? According to film historian Rudy Bellmer, this, this fame that he had put Korngold in a position of leverage when it came to negotiating with the studio. This uh, leverage was something that other composers who were under contract as part of the old Hollywood studio system didn't have. Belmer recalls Korngold's conditions for coming to score films for Warner Brothers going something like this. He wanted to have as much time as he needed to score a film. That was one condition. Another was that he got to pick and choose his films. And more importantly, he got to say no to films he didn't want to do, which was a rare privilege in those days. And lastly, and this is a real kicker here, if Korngold wrote music for a film and he liked the music that he wrote, he reserved the right to incorporate what he wrote in a film into other concert pieces of his own later on. That's like John Williams writing E.T. and then later writing a piece for the Olympics and being like, I'm just going to use that piece from E.T. that I love. Like, you can't do that nowadays. Uh, it's unheard of by today's standards. But in case you're wondering, yes, Korngold actually did that. He did this. So finally, let's take a listen to some of Korngold's great, great music. Oh, I love Korngold's music. We're going to start with Captain Blood from 1935. It's his first big movie. As a note, um, I'm going to be using more modern recordings rather than the original film soundtracks. So just so that our opinion of his music isn't tainted by low fidelity or older recording techniques. I mean, let's really listen to his music the way we're used to, with modern fidelity. Here's the overture to Captain Blood. Thank you. 
Notice the heroic fanfare that emerges in the brass section. Uh, the simple melody set against a background of wonderfully complex instrumentation. This richness of sound. After he'd score a movie, Korngold would often return to Vienna to conduct and perform his own concert works. It's like he was living in between two worlds. The, the glamour of the studio lot at Warner Brothers in Hollywood and the concert music world of Vienna. So then he'd be summoned back to Hollywood from Vienna to look at a rough cut of yet another movie. This went on for a few years, and in 1938, Korngold was asked to come back to Hollywood yet again to look at a rough cut of yet another movie that Jack Warner, producer Hal Wallace, and director Michael Curtiz thought he would be perfect for as a composer. This movie was called The Adventures of Robin Hood, starring yet again Hollywood's favorite on-screen couple, Errol Flynn and Olivia de Havilland. Robin Hood was shot on location, which was rare for the time, as well as being shot in the studio. And it was shot in Technicolor, which was a first for Warner Brothers action movies. Technicolor required huge, bulking cameras and very intense hot lighting. This was a massive production by all accounts. At a budget of $2 million, it was the most expensive movie that Warner Brothers had made to date. So, Korngold arrived in Hollywood to look at the new movie after a long trip from Austria. He checked into the Chateau Marmont, which is a famous Hollywood hotel, which is still here today. And he went to the Warner lot to look at the movie. After looking at the rough cut, he turned to the producers and politely declined. He felt that there was too much action in the movie. He didn't think it played to his strengths as a composer. Korngold thought he was more lyrical and less action-oriented, and that someone else would be better suited for the job. So he thanked them and left Warner Brothers to head back to his hotel. Shortly after his arrival, however, two things happened, right at the same time. Right as a producer from Warner Brothers came knocking on his hotel room door, he was sent there to try to get Korngold to reconsider, his hotel room telephone also began to ring. Korngold answered. It was his father on the other end of the line, calling long distance from Austria. His message to his son, do not come home. Do not come home. The Anschluss is in effect. Hitler and the Nazis have invaded Austria. Stay in America. On the morning of March 12, 1938, the 8th Army of the German Wehrmacht crossed the border into Austria. That afternoon, Hitler crossed the border as well with 4,000 bodyguards and was greeted with cheers. You see, Germany and Austria, despite the Nazi regime and all the terrors it was about to unleash on Europe, had long awaited a unification of their two countries. But almost immediately, as soon as the next day, the campaign against Jewish families began. They were run out of their homes and paraded in the street. Their business and homes were looted. It wasn't safe for Korngold or his family. So taking his father's advice, he did stay in Hollywood, and he did accept the task of writing music for The Adventures of Robin Hood. It not only saved his life, but it saved his family's lives as well, as he was able to successfully get the rest of his family out of Europe and settled into America due to his work in Hollywood as a composer. Through the war years, 
Toluca Lake, California, United States, was Korngold's home. The Korngold family had an open-door policy, and their house was host to any European Jewish families that needed a place to stay. And many did. The atrocities taking place in Europe caused a lot of artists to flee to America, including, besides Eric Wolfgang Korngold, Franz Waxman, who wrote movie music for A Christmas Carol, Bride of Frankenstein, Sunset Boulevard, and many others, and the father of atonalism and the twelve-tone row, composer Arnold Schoenberg. But back to Korngold. In Hollywood, his music thrived. His score for The Adventures of Robin Hood was perfection. It's number 11 on AFI's top 100 film scores of all time. It's at times charming with its lilting rhythms, and you can hear the fun of Robin's band of merry outlaws. It's got this passionate love theme with these violins just soaring. Its action cues just drive the excitement forward. Let's take a listen to the overture to The Adventures of Robin Hood. Korngold continued to refine his film scoring style, and his melodic melodies, in my opinion, just kept getting better and better. In 1939 and 1940, he had to write two separate movies, both of which were about Queen Elizabeth I. Both of them starred Errol Flynn. Only Queen Elizabeth's actress seemed to change. But Korngold stepped up to the challenge, and he wrote two very different film scores about very similar subjects. The first is The Seahawk. The second cue is one of my absolute favorite Korngold pieces. This is the main theme from the private lives of Elizabeth and Essex. 
as a side note, when I pitched this podcast, the soundtrack show to How Stuff Works, I hadn't written the main theme music yet to this show's opening. So this next piece that I'm about to play is what I used in my demo of this very podcast. Let's take a listen. And now for one of Korngold's greatest scores, 1942's King's Row, starring a young Ronald Reagan. Let's take a listen to some of this incredible music. That is the sound of classic Hollywood. That sense of emotion, it's brought on by this simple, simple melody that's given in such a grandiose treatment. You've got these trumpets giving you the grandeur of a royal fanfare, and then you've got these strings evoking a a longing, almost a sadness or emotion that overwhelms you like like a distant memory that brings both happiness and pain. It's incredible, incredible emotional music. After the war, Korngold eventually stopped writing for movies as he was growing tired of it. He wasn't really loving the movies he was being offered. He really wanted to go back to Vienna and continue his pursuit of being the world's next great concert composer. After all, his pedigree as a young man was that of Mozart's. The comparisons between Korngold and Mozart made him famous as a kid. Unfortunately, Success in the concert music world eluded him after the war. Maybe it was because the world had changed. Maybe it was because his music seemed old-fashioned. Some speculate that it was the Viennese music community's retribution 
for his father's work as a harsh music critic for all of those years. Whatever the reason, Korngold never did fully move back to his native Austria. Los Angeles was his home. Eric Wolfgang Korngold was a happily married family man for the rest of his life, surrounded by loved ones. He loved to entertain at the family piano. And he seemed relatively happy, though he lamented that he was never really taken seriously as a composer, especially in his later life. Though he won an Academy Award for Robin Hood, his music, even his film music, to him seemed all but forgotten. He feared that he would be too. He died on November 29, 1957, at the age of 60. In 1972, Charles Gerhardt and the National Philharmonic Orchestra put out a record on RCA Victor called The Seahawk, which featured excerpts of Korngold's original works. In 1973, Warner Brothers started releasing his film scores on vinyl. These albums sold very well. And then suddenly, after years of being forgotten, and long after his death, Korngold's name, his legacy, and his contribution to the art of film music began to earn its rightful place and importance in history. Before we come to a close, I want to share my last secret reason for telling you all about Korngold, especially my love for Korngold, this early on in the soundtrack show. Besides the obvious reasons, his amazing music, which deserves to be celebrated even today by any serious fan of film music, or besides his amazing life story, his music inspired a renaissance in film music in the mid to late 70s, as we mentioned when we covered Jaws. I'm sure when we played some of those clips, you heard some of your favorite film scores, more modern film scores, in those brassy, bold fanfares of Korngold's. It leads to the next film that I'll be discussing on the soundtrack show, an in-depth musical analysis for a film that debuted in 1977, Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. But more on that later. Thank you all for writing and telling me what you think of the show. Thank you for your user comments and polls on social media and for your support of this podcast. Please tell a friend about the Soundtrack Show. And if you haven't already, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Soundtrack Show HSW or on Twitter at Soundtrack HSW. I'm also on Twitter at David W. Collins. Or send us an email at the Soundtrack Show at HowStuffWorks.com. Thank you. Thank you.